it's all in the mind. Success in business, and I believe it's like it's ninety percent psychological. I think ten percent of it is the actual tactics and doing the work. The rest of it is in your mind. That's why I always tell people my advice is like work harder on yourself than you do on your business and than you do on your job, because the person that turns up to that business or that job is going to be far more equipped and far wiser to tackle any issue that may arise. It's Mateen Mike, and this is the Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios, a show for marketers, creators, and brand builders who want to make waves online. We sit down with experts and tastemakers behind today's up-and-coming brands. Today on the show, we have Valentin Ozich, founder and creative director of the men's premium streetwear brand, I Love Ugly. Yeah, and this is our season five finale episode. And this was a big one for me. I feel yes. like um, for a little bit of context, a long time ago, I did an Ask Me Anything on my Instagram, and someone asked me what some bucket list guests would be for me on the podcast. And I tagged Valentin and a few other guys that I feel like would be really fun um, to have on the show, and he responded to my DM, and it took a while, but here we are. We were we're on a texting basis and nice. he agreed to come share some of his knowledge. So this is like a bucket list episode for you. Yeah. And it did not disappoint as a f- season finale. I think you, I couldn't be happier for how our conversation went. Yeah. It was super inspiring. It reminded me of, um, one of my favorite books, Shoe Dog by Phil mm-hmm. Knight. It's like the journey and like the challenges that he's gone through. And that actually happens to be one of his favorite books too. Yeah. It wasn't easy, but mm-hmm. you're going to get that on the episode. But like you said, this is our finale. I feel right. like this has been a great season for us uh, on Wave Social. It's been different and a bit longer than any other season we've mm-hmm. done. And that's kind of intentional because we're hoping to transition to weekly in 2023. But what's going to happen before that? Uh, I'm going to pop out a baby and then come back to work hopefully a few months later. So uh, we're taking a break. Uh, I'm going to go on mat leave. You're going to juggle i'm gonna be dialed in (laughs) (laughs) really just trying to keep my head above water until you come back exactly so but we got a great team at arcade and it's gonna be busy because q4 aside from mitzi being on mat leave is always our busiest time of year Mm -hmm. just being in the digital space like we are Mm -hmm. um but we're gonna buckle in we're looking forward to it i think we're gonna accomplish some great goals that we have as a as a company as a team Mm -hmm. and uh then we'll just set the table for when you come back in the new year yeah we'll come back stronger than ever before and if you have any suggestions of episodes or guests that we should have on our show for 2023 we'd love to hear them you can always reach us via dm on instagram at wave social um or i don't know send us a good old-fashioned email i guess is also possible but yeah why not there's a contact form on our website if you need it (laughs) but we're excited to be back in the new year and to go weekly finally it's been a big goal for us for a long time so um yeah i'm excited about that yeah and if you haven't checked us out on youtube yet that was something new that we introduced this season that we're proud of uh, thank you. Thanks for, to our team for making that happen, especially Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's obvious that this episode was a highlight for me, but what would you say, which episode this past season took you by surprise the most? Ooh, there's so many good ones. I really liked our episode with Charlie. I can't remember what number that was. That was really early. That might've even been the first one. No, for it wasn't second the first or one. third. I can't remember, but it was a really good one. And her business has changed and evolved so much even since we sat down with her. Um, I really liked our episode with Kaylee Reed, where she talked about influencer marketing and the future of like creator economy, things like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which I feel like is also evolving so much since we've talked to her. Uh, but those are two that kind of like come to mind. Yeah, those are, those are some bangers for sure. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear your favorites as well and any topics that you'd like us to cover aside from guests like we mentioned. Um, if there's anything specific that you want to learn about, let us know. Totally. Should we introduce Valentin? Go for it. All right. So as an up-and-coming artist in Auckland, New Zealand, Valentin started the company in 2008 out of his bedroom with zero experience in business or fashion. That really does sound like shoe dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I Love Ugly grew from zero to $10 million in revenue in seven years. They had a flagship store in LA, in Melbourne, in Sydney, and four flagship stores in New Zealand. I can't believe you said Melbourne. <laughs> well, that's how you're supposed to say no, it. No, it's Melbourne. <laughs> it's not Melbourne. 
It's Melbourne. Anytime you say Melbourne, people correct you. Yeah, if but you're now from I'm Australia. saying Melbourne and I'm getting corrected. So <laughs> yeah, it's know. Melbourne. It's weird to say Melbourne. Anyways, Melbourne, Sydney, and four flagship <laughs> stores in New Zealand, plus a big license deal on the table in South Korea. They also had seven global distributors with over 200 accounts stocking product around the globe and to cop- cap it all off, an online store that was only getting stronger. And then it almost all went away. Yeah, in our season five finale, we talked to Valentin about his journey of bouncing back from near bankruptcy, the importance of working on yourself even more than you work on your business, and the mindset required to achieve ambitious goals, and more importantly, find happiness. Yeah, that mindset stuff really hit me. Mm -hmm. It was super inspiring. For anyone that doesn't follow him on social, I'd say go follow him on Instagram. It's just his name. Um, but he shares a lot of that mindset and kind of psychology stuff that mm-hmm. has really helped him become the business leader and just person, um, that he is today. So, um, hopefully you enjoy the episode. Yeah. See you next season. Here we go. Valentin, thanks for joining us on the show, man. We've been really looking forward to this. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Sorry, I was so useless on the DMs. Ah, no sweat. <laughs> no sweat. I got your number now, so I know where to find you. Um, so to, to set a foundation, we always like to just take it back to the beginning. So if you could just frame out what got you into art and when did you first perceive yourself as an artist? Um, I was always into art and I've always pretty much, as long as I can remember, I was a creative my mom had a tendency to uh, identify gifts and talents. I've got five siblings in all of us. And she said, oh, you're so good at this and good at that. And I think that, um, you know, whoever identifies a skill and they keep, keep complimenting you on that are essentially just harvesting it. So I had that since I was in the, since I was, uh, you know, five years old. And um, I just loved it. I gravitated towards it, anything creative, and I was pretty good at it. So identifying myself as an artist or a creative yeah i don't i guess i just yeah i suppose i identify myself as a creative but i'm just a creative person and comes pretty naturally to me um yeah nice so as far as like the actual art that you got into um after your mom started to validate some of these abilities that you had and you started to like actually believe it what kind of art specifically were you interested in like what was what did a canvas or an artboard or whatever it was that you were working on a sketch pad like what did it actually look at at the look like at the time when you were first getting into this stuff when i serious started seriously getting into it i i, I kind of like more caricature type stuff and also i always gravitated towards street art not graffiti but like the characters and whatnot which they did within that context and then i started to do that and then i got into shepherd ferry the guy from obey clothing and um, all his paste up type stuff. And I was like, I really like doing that. So I started doing my own characters and started doing late night paste ups until I started getting in trouble and busted all the time. But I kind of liked, I liked that whole process and I w- didn't really know what I was trying to achieve as such. I, I drew these characters and um, I, I, I don't know what I was trying to do. I guess I was trying to get people familiar with my art style. And, um, and that basically, you know, that started to open up a whole new world to me. And I used to go, cause I live in Auckland in New Zealand and I used to go over to Melbourne, which is pretty, it's notorious for that street art and paste ups and whatnot. I used to go there quite frequently just to get inspired and just to absorb everything. And, um, you know, many times I've tried to move there, but then life, life got in the way of that. And I think just going through that whole process just allowed me to put my work, put my, put my work in a you know, in a public context. And that way I could say, go back the next day. And if the post paste ups hadn't been removed and just review my work and what I could do better. And, um, I guess that skill and doing that translated quite well. into when I started getting into clothing later down the track. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue. Like, what was it that, that just like signaled in your brain one day to be like, okay, I'm going to move on from doing the paste ups to actually putting this on apparel and, uh, giving the people the opportunity to wear it. Yeah, I think that pay stops isn't very lucrative. You know, it's illegal <laughs> and you have to do it at yeah. two o'clock in the morning. And um, I really loved the whole process of doing art and putting it somewhere, having a canvas for it. 
and uh, I think I think with clothing it was just a natural progression, and you could do it legally. You could uh, you know you could really scale it. A pay stuff's not going to really achieve much, but then you can also put that graphic onto a t-shirt and sell a hundred of them at the time. Uh, so that for me was the progression. And for I Love Ugly, which is you know the the brand, it was basically just three words, which I randomly came up with at university when when the lecturers asked us to summarize our style into in, in three words. And for whatever reason, those three words popped up for me and uh when i started my clothing i was like okay oh, i love ugly that's a quite a quite a cool name an interesting name it creates that sense of wonder it draws people in uh but i wanted the aesthetic which i which i produced to be very clean and minimal so it was like this nice juxtaposition of you know the word ugly with a very clean aesthetic so that's how um that's how it that's how it translated when I first started, I was just fumbling around trying to work it out. I was trying to do my own screen printing, and I had a, 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 a are you allowed to swear? Yeah, I had a shit ton it. of ideas, and um, yeah, and that, that was that was the the birth of of my clothing clothing brand. And I even to this day, I don't know how to turn on a sewing machine. Um, I'm very I'm the most untechnical, probably clothing fashion designer in the world. But I know what I want. I've got the vision in my head. And ever since I was young, I always had visions of, you know, when I went out to go start with a drawing or a painting, I already, I, I always knew what I wanted um, in my mind. And then, yeah, I just basically put that to, put that to paper. So I'm just going to move. The sun's coming up. Um, yeah. No worries. Nice. I've always been curious about where I Love Ugly, the name came from. And now that you're, you know, you said that it came like a, it was a natural, like, almost reaction to how to describe your aesthetic and your art style. Now, when you think about I Love Ugly and those three words, does that still feel like it properly reflects your art style or your your art in general? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I've always had, you know, I've always tried to have a view in life and whatever I do, and I try to extrapolate the the beauty out of ugly and I think ugly is subjective and um I always saw things that probably others seen deemed as ugly and I saw it as, as beautiful I, I I like nowadays I don't really have time to do art I still do like one of my dreams is when I finish up in this chapter of my life you know I love ugly the clothing I do want to start to get back into my art you can probably see in the video all that stuff to the right that's all my art and that's just I put it there as a reminder it's you know, it's like, okay, this is what, this is what I'm going to do after in my, in, my, in my next chapter. But yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I try to work with as many artists as I can, uh, especially smaller artists, because they remind me of me when I was younger and when I was starting up. And I think giving them a, giving them a platform and an opportunity to start working with a bigger company and start starting to understand, you know, how, how you can make a name for yourself and you can make money um by providing them an opportunity and and also it's quite different it's quite different when you do art say on a piece of paper or on a canvas to on a t-shirt it's like you gotta you gotta it's a different skill you gotta adapt with with the canvas and that's what i try to teach a lot of these young guys and that's why i try to use as many as many young people and up-and-comers as i can and i've got now i've got a problem where i've just got yeah even too much art and not enough wall space so yeah, I, I love it. It's just like something, it's kind of like the lens which I see see the world. Sounds a bit kind of cliche for an artist, but it's just the way I the way I see it. Just I'm just an artist that learned business and yeah, morphed the two together. And then I think I've done quite well from it. And I think the fact that I came into business naive and not studying business, I think it actually served me really, really well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like like learning and studying business just isn't necessarily the thing that'll make a brand successful, you know, like it's really like, I think the artist's perspective that has always set I love ugly apart as someone who's followed it. Um, and as an artist, like for you, when you got into apparel, it was like graphics and all over prints that were a big part of how you started. Um, how much did you think about like the actual garment itself as well? Like were you, uh, I know you said you never have touched a sewing machine, but were you thinking about different cuts and silhouettes at the time, or was it like you found a good spot to get some T-shirts from or some um, blanks from, and then you just were worried about what was going on top of it? 
Yeah, and I guess uh, so. Outside of being an artist, I think you know I was a pretty good graphic designer as well, and I was pretty good at designing clothes as well. And that's not—I'm not saying it arrogantly. It was just I, I identified that within myself, and I just basically morphed the three, four skill sets all together. Um, but I saw, yeah, I just saw cuts. You know, I used to go out to you know parties and gigs and whatnot when I was younger. Um, and you just see, you know, cool and in, in New Zealand there's a word called steezy, which means like dope, essentially. You'd see these cool dope steezy dudes and you'll be like, Oh fuck, that's pretty cool the way they're wearing that pant or this. But they were kind of customizing it themselves. So I was thinking, Well, why don't I bring that why don't I why don't I make that product and bring it to market and kind of brand it in a cool way and put it under this cool label and then um, you know, start start selling it in cool little boutiques. And uh, that's how I saw it. And I think the real, the pin drop for me when I was over, uh, I was over in Amsterdam and, uh, you know, doing what you do in Amsterdam, you know, I was, I was pretty high. And then I saw, I saw this guy, um, he was like, you know, wearing this particular pair of pants and the way he kind of wore it. And I was like, oh, that looked pretty cool. It was slightly more tapered, just with like a little zip, zip. Uh, down on the inside of the ankle and um, I, 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 it kept it, it just stayed in my mind and as soon as I got back to New Zealand I got it sampled up with a local pattern maker and I think we did about 15, 15 samples and we finally got it and that was the birth of our iconic Zespi pant and uh, brought that to market and almost immediately it started to you know for back back then you know it started to work you know five pairs five pairs a week ten pairs a week you know and now to this day it's probably sold over a hundred thousand pairs um so and that's even now i just see i just basically get things that i work and morph them together and i experiment and the stuff that the stuff that i release is basically a um yeah it's 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 from a bunch of bunch of failures and and that's what i always tell people as well just to listen in that it's just like everybody almost procrastinate around releasing the perfect print or the perfect piece of clothing or the perfect song or whatever. It's just like, put it out there and let the market decide because whatever you think may be amazing in your own mind, may be shit to the market. But what you may feel shit is actually amazing to the market. And the market is the ultimate decider about what your, whether or not your work is good. Um, so that's why I always say, it's just like, put it out there and I'm not afraid to fail and I'm not afraid to put products out there that I'm a little bit unsure about. Um, usually when you're unsure about it, I think you're onto a good thing because you don't have anything else in the market to validate it. You're, you know, you're originating, you're paving the way of the new and the new is always scary. So that's kind of a, that's a mindset. And I've just crafted that mindset over the years now. And it's allowed me to become a lot more bold in my actions. And it's not only in products, but it's also decisions that which you make within your business and what you want to do and even your own life as well. You know, I live, I live in a, I live out of the city. I live in this beautiful, you know, bush. It's called the Waitakere's and it was a bold move, but I decided to do it just to get away from everybody so I can decompress. And a lot of people are like, what the fuck are you doing living out here? But I love it. And I think it's been a very pivotal move just in my life in general. So a bit of, bit of, bit of a rant. I probably went off, off, uh, you know, off question there, but, um, Yeah. No, that's, that's stuff mm -hmm. that we want to get into in this conversation anyway. Um, and I feel like Mitzi's probably listening to this being like, oh, now Mike's going to want to move in the bush. <laughs> I feel like as I get older, I just, I don't want to be around people as much, you know, I just feel like life is stressful and noisy. And so I kind of envy it that is. move you made. Yeah. But, I um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the Zespi pant first mm -hmm. and then we <laughs> definitely get into some mindset stuff, but I still remember, I feel like it was. 2010, 2010, buying a Zespi pant at this one shop that carried I Love Ugly in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada, just this like small city. I don't know if you ever heard of Saskatoon, but, um, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I came on to I Love Ugly and it was like, it was at the time. It honestly, to me felt like a, just a completely different direction than any other brand that I was watching. I feel like around the same time, the hundreds was, a brand that people were stoked on out of California. And, um, but I love ugly was so clean and the Zespi pant was so distinct. And then I feel like after that, there was a whole wave of like jogger pants and like drop crotch stuff. And, 
and all yeah. of that. But where do you see the Zespi pan in the broader picture of like that, those whole different styles of pan that kind of came following that? Yeah, I definitely think um, it was one of the originators. It may not get recognized as one of the original jog- jogger style pants, but um, but yeah, the reason, for only re- one of the main reasons I'm here is because of that pant. And um, yeah, at the moment, it's not even in our top 10 sellers. You know, things go through trends, but I know it will. But we've also got other pants now that match, if not better, better the Zespi pant. Um, but I think the it was just amazing in, in a sense where it just, it's kind of what I said previously, said before, it just gave me that confidence to put stuff out, to trust myself, to experiment, to, if you do have a vision in your mind, to, you know, try try your hardest even after 15, which is nothing really, um, 15 attempts to try get the get, get it as perfect as you can. And then um, once you kind of get it to that point as well, it was still, we, we were still improving the fabrics and, you know the stretch and the little details and things like that but yeah i think it's i think it's got a big big part to play and it put us on the map and you know made people like yourself on the opposite side of the world um know about us so in that sense yeah it's it's pretty awesome and i think also the fact that i i branded the actual product you know it wasn't just some random name like i don't know chino jogger pan or whatever it was actually branded just a random name which which we made up, we try to do that as well. So that way, um, yeah, people can identify, they, they, you know, it's just like, okay, that's a, that's the Zespi pan or, you know, almost like the Levi's 501. It's just like, that's the Isle of Ugly Zespi pan. So, and it's kind of catchy and it sticks. Yeah. As a relatively like smaller brand at the time, when you started getting all that traction for the pants, like what was it that helped spark that? And I saw that you even got, people like ASAP Rocky wearing them? Like, how did that happen? And then how did you, like, how did, you know, it put you on the map, so to speak, but like, what did, what else did it do for your brand? Yeah, it's, I think, um, yeah, it just made us, it just put us on the map and it happened quicker than I expected. And then I Love Ugly almost became, it had a cult following just off one pant. Uh, amazing in the sense where it allows you to break through to the next level, but it's also dangerous in the sense where you're creating almost a one-legged stool for your business. So as soon as that leg gets kicked out, you know, you become, you don't have a business. So at the same time, while that happened, we were pushing, we were were working extremely hard to innovate that product, but also to introduce other products alongside. So we weren't reliant on that product because things go through seasons and I knew that, that was also going to have a season. How long that season was, I wasn't 100% sure. It lasted quite a few years and longer than I expected. But um, but that product was great because it, it started to get, since it was innovative, it started to get the attention of stylists. So with the ASAP Rocky, um, we had a, a stylist who also styled a bunch of others. And he contacted us and just said, hey, look, this pants great. Can I grab some? He grabbed some and then ASAP liked it loved it and he ended up buying you know got him with a whole bunch of pairs 10 pairs or whatever he started wearing it and he wore it to like coachella and whatnot but it, the thing is it's like since it doesn't have i love ugly all over it um it was up to us to basically leverage it and we saw that and we leveraged it we had a little triangle our little little logo emblem on the back pocket so we just did a great job of leveraging the fact that this celebrity was wearing our product and then that's what got people talking and you know people caught on 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 to that but um you know there's many you know people you know you celebrities or whatever where where products it can be a white t-shirt or whatever but if you do it and if it's your company and it doesn't say your name on it um and you're not telling people about it then you're doing a shit job of actually promoting and a lot of people are in new zealand um you're almost there's this thing called tall poppy syndrome where you're almost ridiculed if you're if you promote yourself or promote your product or you try to do well and i just didn't give a crap about that i just wanted to make my dent and i wanted to provide for my family you know i had a little daughter at the time and uh you know i just i just wanted to make a make a statement and i didn't really give a crap about this tall poppy syndrome bullshit i just wanted to create something big and that's what kept me up at night that's what kept me up you know i had to work during the day 
uh, work in the bank, which was so soul destroying, but I had to work till two, three o'clock in the morning. And that's what kept me up is this like burning desire and this vision to actually create something and make my splash in the world. Um, whatever that was. And for that particular time, it was like making Isle of Ugly blow up and that resonated with a lot of, lot of people, a lot of our team and everybody got on board and we've got an army of people, you know, chasing a vision. That's when you can really start to make some amazing waves and get some a moment, momentum going. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of people, um, I feel like for a long time you had a really small team. Like I remember, I, I think I read something not long after I discovered the Zespi pant about how this like this brand I love ugly that was just on like a major come up just had half a dozen people and it was like a big thing that you guys were so lean. Um, how long, how long was it like that? And why, why did you choose to keep it so tight like that? That's another thing in New Zealand is like, they don't, people don't focus on big teams. It's like, how can we extrapolate the most out of one person and get them doing five jobs? It served <laughs> us really well then. Um, Cause it kept, kept overheads low but i think that um i don't know it was just like i was i was ex inexperienced in business and i didn't realize that you have to get specialists i just thought okay this guy is cool he can figure it out go figure it out um and that was our attitude back then and you had a as i said before you had a lot of people trying to fulfill this vision which we had and you know that were ambitious and chasing this dream um it allowed allowed our team to do a lot and um and, and and stay lean now it's a little bit different and i've got a very different frame of mind um around it but it's also like I, I talk a lot about vanity metrics and a lot of people um you know they measure the success of their business based off these vanity metrics which is how many instagram followers they have or comments they get or likes they get or celebrities wearing their stuff end of the day that stuff is great and it probably does pay play an important role but it's like how profitable is your business? Can you can you walk away from your business for a month and can it operate without you? Um, back then, you know, it was it was a fucking shambles. Like we probably looked like a twenty million dollar company, and we had. I remember we had um, this this company called JD Sports, which is pretty big over there. They're trying to sue us because they thought we were a fifty million dollar business um, for because they had a sub brand called the Uglies, which is all these like rugby shirts. Um, recycled rugby, sh rugby shirts repurposed to make this little subline called the Uglies, and they were trying to sue us um, for you know copyright and copying their name. I didn't even know about them at the time, and it's because we had this perception that we were much bigger than we were, um, and that's what we always had. And I think it just went down to you know let's let's look look really good and let's make you know let's just get the best talent and make people work hard and. That's how we managed to stay really lean. And then we went from being very lean to too bloated, you know, too many people. And I think it's just like an art. You need to get the fine, you know, that really balance, balance in place because yeah. it can get you in trouble either way. Yeah, totally. I feel like that's something that I'm constantly thinking about as we build our business is just like, where's the sweet spot? Because um, it'd be easy to just like ride the wave and just keep growing, growing, growing. But um, obviously we don't want to, we don't want to get to that place of being bloated, like you said. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. you obviously experienced that. Like you, you grew like crazy. You started opening shops. You came over to LA and opened a shop there that went crazy. Um, and then it, the growth kind of brought you to a place of, uh, some pretty difficult times. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that and how you, how you, uh, navigated that? Definitely. We grew, you know, from zero to i think it was nine million um in four years five years and we did that the way i describe it was a couple of boys that have just learned to drive given getting the keys to a ferrari but they don't know how to read the dashboard they don't really know how to drive a machine that powerful and they don't know how to read road signs and that's what we were and we're just speeding around corners and the thing is it's like if you go too fast and you don't know how to control this machine eventually yeah you might wrap yourself around the power pole and it's kind of what happened to us and we grew damn quickly and we had opportunities coming left right and center and um since we had no experience we we're just saying yes to every single opportunity so we were doing we were doing direct to consumer online we were doing retail and we we're also doing wholesale we we're doing distribution we we're doing license deals you know 
we had license deals coming at us from South Korea and um, we had a party saying, you know, they want to open up five I Love Ugly stores. And I guess that, you know, the man that chases two rabbits catches none and we were just chasing two rabbits. And I think at the same time, we're stretching ourselves so thin to the point where we were doing nothing effectively. And the main thing, which is dope product and serving our customer and innovating, that was starting to fall to the wayside. Um, all the key metrics like, you know, wage wage costs as a percentage of profitability was blowing way, way out. So, you know, we had this fixed overhead that was just unsustainable unless we had these like gigantic sales. So you're basically trying to ch chase these sales in order to get, you know, in order to pay pay your overheads. And that's, that's not only stupid, but it's exhausting as well. And I think um, human beings only have so much energy and so much bandwidth. And the thing is, is like, the way and what we were doing at the time, you know, going over to LA and, you know, we made a million dollars profit and blew all that profit the following year, year on opening up stores in LA and Melbourne and Sydney and looking at New York. It's like, it was just, it was just a shambles. And we had no, you know, we were in our late twenties. We had no wise counsel around us because we were too arrogant to listen to anybody, but we had no one with the experience to say, Hey boys, just slow it down. Like just, reconsolidate reconsolidate get efficient yeah let's start becoming profitable um we didn't have any of that but the thing is it's like it is what it is and i'm the man i am today in the business today because of those experiences so uh but yeah it was a pretty wild time but man i enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when when the shit hit the fan and you realize like you couldn't keep going like this and you might even lose it all um like lots of people would just peace out at that point they just call it a day and start over you know but obviously you didn't because you, here you are today you still got the brand and it's it's really strong so what were some of the quick decisions in the moment that you had to make and like why did you choose to to keep going at that point yeah i've got this um i've got this thing in me where it's this perseverance and this it's this thing where I just never quit and it may be the at my own detriment like I tried to do it in my marriage you know and it was actually becoming more catastrophic in the end like I just wouldn't quit um you know when my daughter I had a premature daughter she's perfectly healthy now but I just I know that was nothing to do with my and my as not in my control but I just didn't quit like I just had this faith you know that I could I could it, it will work and I think I applied that that mindset into the brand and yes we went through the shit you know we had the bank was recalling everything we had to pay back three quarters of a million dollars which was a huge amount of money at the time in seven days and um and i was like shit how did we get here and at that point i was solely focused on the creative and i was pretty naive around the number side of the business and um i went to my business partner at the time i was like what's what's going on and i think that um yeah we just 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 had this thing where you kind of know deep down in your soul that something's wrong but you ignore it and i think that when something's seriously wrong if you keep kicking a coke can down the, the road it's going to eventually come back to bite you and this is what we were doing we were just delaying the inevitable and i think when people have problems they're too scared to acknowledge them because acknowledging the problem is requires courage it requires effort and it almost like spoils the party that was going on the good times that we were going on there's this narrative in the market especially over here it's just like these are the golden boys whatever they touch turn to gold so you basically develop this ego and when you got a when you got an ego that big and when you're, when you're that young you just you don't want to recreate the narrative that you've got problems or you know you need to make some serious changes and you know we had the fancy cars the fancy offices the fancy houses the just just everything and i didn't want to do anything to to disrupt that or jeopardize that um but the thing is is like if you delay if you keep delaying that eventually it's going to bite you and that's exactly what happened so i basically yeah got the got the meeting from the bank at that point i fully took over all conversations um with the bank and i just said hey look i can't pay you back today but give me 30 days and we'll pay you back and then when they said okay um for whatever reason they gave us a chance because they just said hey look like the same thing to do right now is to quit 
and you're basically trading recklessly as a director of the company, which can have a bunch of, you know, a bunch of bad consequences. Um, if you don't pull this round, the odds of you turning this round are pretty slim. Like you're probably not going to pull, pull it through. And um, my naivety was, was, my, was my savior. And I just refused to hear, listen to that bullshit. And I know that, you know, I've read a lot of books over my time and I knew that I was at a point, a, a pivotal moment where a lot of, you know, I'm not saying I'm great, but the ones that I read, you know, the greats, they all came to this crossroads and I just refused to quit. I just got to work and I just like basically killed the ego and I was like, okay, I got to sell some shit. So I basically, you know, did a warehouse sale the next day and sold, you know, we sold, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of product. But the thing is we are selling our product below cost. So um, there's going to be a shortfall. So sold that. Um, and then I had to basically run around town trying to refinance and trying to get more debt. I had to remortgage my house. So basically came out of that for about, with about two, two and a half million dollars of personal debt. Um, I managed to, you know, long story short, I bought out my business partner for peanuts. Like at the moment it was at that, at that particular time, it was, wasn't really worth much, but looking back in hindsight, it's peanuts to, to obviously, obviously now and i just took the risk and i was just relentless and it's like fuck it when you're going through hell just keep on going and i was like i was balls deep in debt and whatnot and i knew where we went wrong it wasn't the fact that i love ugly was not desirable and people weren't buying the product it was more of a governance and structural and operational problem and i knew that i could fix that and i could i just need to get out of this little hole um i need to get out of this hole i need to find the right people make the changes and i know know what to do and you know, five years on, here we are. We're better than ever. I didn't have to sell the company. Um, it's a, it's a completely different beast. You know, we went from that to now it's a extremely profitable eight figure business, which I can go away from for a month, and it's not only operating but it's thriving without me. Um, and that's all from that that refusal to quit, refusal to give up, belief in myself having faith in the vision and being a hundred percent transparent and honest, not only to myself, but to those around me, because when you are like that and you show vulnerability as a leader, people want to jump on board. And I thought people were going to run for the hills, but since I didn't, and I confronted these demons, a lot of people that resonated with a lot and they came on board. And I think everybody that purchased product during that time, cause I read it, I, I basically wrote a letter and sent it to our fan base um people were purchasing almost as like a almost like as a as a support you know it's like well i i i brought been buying these pants since some 18 this has a i love this brand so i'm going to support this, this brand and um and if i wasn't vulnerable if i wasn't honest um i don't think i would have got through it that's an amazing story and so inspiring i'm curious through all this like it sounds like you've had to do some major operational restructuring with the team that you had in place, but you mentioned that you wrote your community a letter. Like how public was this whole journey with like your consumers and your community and the fans that you built? Um, and like, would you recommend that people take that similar stance? Like being vulnerable and being open about something like this is something like most people would would keep to themselves or keep really hidden. Like there's whole PR campaigns trying to protect founders and companies from, from sharing something like this. So yeah, just maybe talk to us like what was in that letter and how open and transparent were you with the people around you, not just in your organization, but also like the customers that you've built at the time. Yeah, I was extremely, I think a letter we could you know, find it today, but I was extremely honest. Um, I just said, you know, we fucked up. We overexpanded. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, we overpurchased products. We were pretty bad and inefficiently and inefficiently operating. Um, and I just wrote the letter like a heartfelt letter. It's almost like sending it to your, you know, your your other half or your to your brother or someone. But I made it public. So I did that and I sent it on our mail base. I just put it on our Instagram. Um, I just put it out there. And at that time, it was like, well. That was what that that that's what came to me. That was like my intuition said. It's like just just put it out there. Up until that point, you know, we just portrayed this like perfect image, and perfect doesn't exist. 
And um, and with Isle of Ugly, you know, we're a scrappy, raw organization that tells the truth. And um, and I think telling the truth is always going to serve you because I think lying is is exhausting. And the worst thing you want to do is like give everybody this poor service, but but pretending that everything's okay. At least when our shops, you know, our shops weren't packed with stock and you know things that were affecting a customer at least when they had a little bit of context as to why that was happening um they became a lot more more forgiving and people you know i think it's refreshing it's not often you hear from a company that they're having problems and we're going to try fix and rectify these problems just bear with us support us and we promise you that we'll get through it i think it's pretty refreshing and i didn't do it because I didn't do it because I read that somewhere or or anything. I just thought, okay, I'm at the bottom. I'm at the bottom here. Might as well just tell the truth. Um, and let's just die trying. And that's all I did. And um, people picked up. But at the same time, it wasn't all. It wasn't all like a beautiful moment and everyone supporting. We were getting shit left, right, and center. You know, I had employees stealing and trying to take us because we had to let people go you know trying to um sue us for personal grievances and um we had just things you know i had i had tons of people trying to basically take me to the debt collectors and i had um you know people knocking on our door saying hey you need to liquidate this company now immediately multiple people like that um yeah i was had to just basically just deal with it and it just made me man up and it wasn't enjoyable i had you know, it was seriously affecting my health. I thought, um, I thought I was gonna when I when I fully signed over and took over the company. Um, you know, moments later, I thought I was I thought I was gonna die. I was dying of a heart attack, but it was a panic attack. Um, you know, I was what 30, 31, and I I was driving and I was like, I just felt this like rush come from my body. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Had to pull over, couldn't breathe, and I was like, fuck, this is it. I'm I'm dead. Thirty one years old dying of a heart attack because of like trying to pursue this stupid dream. It was just a panic attack in the end, but yeah, so there's some scary moments, very scary moments, but the scary moments are what sculpt us as human beings. And, um, that's like, you don't, you can't, you can't become a, become a success without getting a few scratches and bruises a long way. Definitely, man. It's admirable. Um, you mentioned that, when you were honest and kind of shared that you weren't going to run away from it, that there were people that saw that and wanted to, wanted to ride with you, kind of wanted to push through with you. I'm assuming some of those were employees, but you also mentioned, um, before, like when you were kind of in this crazy trajectory that you didn't really have wise counsel. Um, and obviously you had, there was so much difficult stuff that you just, that you just rattled off for us, like debt collectors and liquidators and lawsuits and stuff like that. During this time, did you feel like it was just you, like, or did yep. you feel like there's people that came around you and like supported you or like kind of held you up yep. a little bit? Definitely, like there is people that come around you and support you, but it is just you because at that time I was 100% owner of the business. I bought out my previous partner, and any other battle, battle, you know, him and me would fight together. But at this point, he was done. He didn't want to continue. He was just looking after his family and himself. And I respect that. And I get that. And you got to have some big balls to, to, to do this. But, um, yeah, I felt very lonely, you know, being, being an entrepreneur is a lonely game. And, um, that's why they gravitate towards each other. You know, it's a secret little club. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was scary. And I did feel isolated. Like even my wife at the time, like couldn't really, yeah, she couldn't really relate um, because it's like it's it's hard to relate unless you're actually gone through it yourself or and, unless you're part of it. It's like when someone gets seriously sick with cancer and whatnot, you can have all support people, but the cancer's in your body and you've got your own mind and it's all those, those scary moments when you're by yourself, you know, that you have to kind of deal with. But, yeah, I felt, I felt very alone, extremely alone. Um, but you got through it, you know. And then I, I think at the moment I just yeah, I uh I took that I took that approach and I always remembered and I was like once once I started to rebuild things, I just said, Hey look, I, I just knew I was I was a great I was a great creative and um 
I knew that I needed to understand the business side of it because I think the better you understand the business side of it, the better it's going to translate to the creative, the better creative you are, the better businessman you are. So it was a blessing in a sense where it really exposed me to the ways in which the the fashion business runs. And I got to implement a bunch of stuff. And when I got to, when I got to the point where, you know, we could start to crawl back, that's when I started to hire specialists that could just focus on the stuff where not only was I not that good at, but I also wasn't passionate about it. And it was also draining me, um, my energies as well. So, but yeah, very, it was very lonely, extremely lonely. Yeah. Now, like looking back on that, you mentioned that you've been able to take time off from your business and it's not just surviving, it's thriving without you. Is that uh, partly because of the team that you've got in place now who are actually specialists in what they're doing? Yes, 100% because of that. Yeah, got a team, you know, there's over 40 people now on the team. Um, and they're just, yeah, just incredible. Got the, they're expensive, but if you get the people with the right experience that have done this before, but not only on this size, but on greater scale, when they come into our organization, it's just like, not a walk in the park, but they've, they, they've worn these clothes before, you know, they've walked this, this path before. Yeah. And I think experience, um, experience just pays dividends. And, you know, if I was now to go to a, a business, say smaller than Isle of Ugly that are in a shambles, I just, I just know what to do because I've been there before and, um, yeah, getting the right people now was, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just incredible. And you just, you grow quicker, you, you, you become stronger, tighter. Yeah. You just, yeah, that's how, that's how these big companies, how they get. You, you hit a certain threshold and you just start getting momentum and it's just like, well, nothing can stop us, you know, cause you've got everything yeah. in place. I'm not saying we're invincible because there's all there's constant challenges like, you know, China being shut down for three months and it's like, that's our supply chain. That's our oxygen, you know, oxygen, um, being cut off. It's like, you have to adapt, but when you've got the right people and we, when you've been through shit before, it's like, okay, I know what to do here. And it's all, it's all in the mind success in business and i believe it's like it's 90 psych psychological i think 10 percent of it is the actual tactics and doing the work the rest of it is in your mind and um it's all you know between your between your two ears and that's why i always tell people my advice is like work harder on yourself than you do on your business and than you do on your job because the person that turns up to that business or that job is going to be far more equipped and far wiser to tackle any issue that may arise. And that's what I do to this day. I still work extremely hard on myself, harder on myself like now than I do actually on the business. If that makes sense, educate and that's through everything. Can you tell us what that looks like practically? Like I, I find it since we've started this conversation really fascinating that you're an artist and a creative and, but you're so business minded. And for so many artists and creative, that's where they struggle with turning their art into a business that's not just, you know, supporting them, but thriving and growing like those, that's a really difficult thing to kind of like change your mindset around. But it, seems, it sounds like you've been really disciplined and intentional about doing that. What are some of the like practical things that you do to kind of set yourself up to have that mindset and um, learn and develop and keep growing? Yeah. Well, what I did, what I did is I, I, I just, I didn't want to go to university because I'm not a massive believer in it because it's like, why would you spend five years and 40 out 50 hours a week and $70,000 on something where the information and everything has changed significantly from when you started to when you finish, when you basically have, you know, we're so resource and information rich today where you can get any bit of information you want either for free off YouTube or on audible or books at the library. So I just basically read business books, like had an insatiable hunger just to learn. And, uh, I just read business books and that's all I did. And I just got the fundamentals down. But then in terms of a mindset stuff, um, I just basically went on this journey. It's like, okay, how can I, it's how can I maintain my energy and my focus and my concentration and for a long period of time? Okay. Well, my diet, my diet needs to change. You know, I need to stop eating, say sugar, um, cut out these, you know, these carbs that just 
you know, spike up your insulin levels and you crash an hour later um, and then you're moody, like I need to stop drinking so much coffee. Um, I need to probably intermittent fast. So I just went on a journey for that. So I typed in Google, how can I maintain energy for longer? Um, and then just uh, it just basically opened up this ocean of knowledge. And then I just experimented on myself. I started taking a lot of supplements like nootropics and, um, you know, natural supplements that just like allow me to cognitively function at a high level. Um, I started exercising regularly you know, cold water exposure, breath work. I started journaling, just emptying my mind and just like becoming a lot more purposeful around what did I want to achieve that, that day. I didn't focus on achieving tasks. I focused on effectiveness. I started, and I'm a massive promoter of this today, like goals, writing down goals about what you want to achieve separates you from 99% of people because you're actually telling your brain about what's important to you. So I started doing that, small goals, big goals, audacious goals, health goals, business goals in every every, every sense. And I think, uh, you know, there's a guy called Jordan Peterson. And it's like, if you can get your house, there's no way that you can succeed in your business or anything if you don't have your house in order. So make your bed in the morning. Like, make make your bed, you know, make your room clean, make your, make your house as beautiful as possible. It doesn't mean you have to spend heaps of money, but just make it make it clean and orderly and i think if you start that internally you it will start to have huge effects on your life externally and that was basically my practical thing and to this day every time i deviate away from that i i, I basically don't you know when i went through my divorce um beginning of the year which was probably the most challenging thing i've ever gone through because i've got three children and um and everything it's just like i just doubled down on exactly what I'm telling you guys now. I um I didn't drink, didn't smoke weed, didn't do pills, nothing. I just started running more, breath work. I went and spoke to someone, a therapist, which I've never done before, journaling, and I started to just flood myself with gratitude and just all the things which I am appreciative of. And don't get me wrong, like it was still hard and it still is hard, but you know, eight months later, um, seven months later, I feel like people are surprised. You know, they thought I'd be in the dumps and the mess and um and i think that it just goes to show that this stuff works like i've gone through some pretty crazy and i know that people have gone through significantly harder times for me and it's all contextual and it's all appropriate to the individual but for me i've gone through some hard shit that you know nearly bankrupt two point whatever million dollars of personal debt and you know premature daughters and severe depression and suicidal and um, divorces and all this stuff. And I've come out every time better, you know, not better, better. And I think that it's because I just apply and I eat my own cooking and I, everything that I'm saying now, I just apply and, and, and it works. And I, I believe it can work for everybody. Yeah. You know, nature, nature and natural is, is the best medicine. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a similar wavelength, maybe not to the extent that you have, but definitely like changing up the diet, getting exercise more regularly, getting some supplements in the mix. Like that's been a game changer for me. Even just not eating the same shit I've always eaten. That never makes me feel good. You know, it's like you reach a point at some point where you realize like you're doing a lot of this to yourself. And, uh, if you just take control of it, like your life yeah. can be so much better. I followed you on social for quite a while as well. In addition to the brand and always appreciated the articles that you share um, and just some of the like mindset kind of punchy one-liners or little little pieces of advice and I don't know if I'm quoting this exactly right because I just had written it down in my own notes w when I saw it but at one point you shared something around how um, we call problems problems because they weren't part of the plan um, so if you plan to have problems you change the trajectory of your life so obviously like you've experienced some big problems in your business and not even in your personal life um and it's safe to say that there will be more problems like that's just how life goes so how has anticipating problems um changed the way you think about the work that you're doing and like the practices that you have personally and or like when the actual problem happens yeah i think that it's you know people get a little and it's this isn't my quote but or my words exactly but um it's kind of resonated with me is like losers losers react and winners anticipate and i think that um it's like you have to anticipate if, if you're alive 
if you're standing above ground, you got to anticipate that problems are the sign of life and you need to become a professional problem solver. And that's all I've become. And that's what I was saying before, like, is like the mindset stuff allows you to become, you know, very stable, steadfast, stoic, and make rational decisions amidst the chaos. You have to find the order in the chaos and, um, in business and life and work and everything. It's like, if you can become a better problem solver, you're going to succeed more. And, um, and that's all I've, that's all I've kind of become as a, as a, as a better problem solver. And now say, for example, we had, um, we got this new pair of pants, which is kind of like taken over his SPs. I don't want to say what it is because you know, you never know who's listening. But anyway, we sold, we sold about 1500 pairs and a few hours and then we got a repeat and did the same thing. We got another repeat this time around, maybe four or 5,000 pairs and we got them air freighted and with everything going in China managed to kind of slip it through. And then it was supposed to be on a plane and we got a call from our supplier that the person that uh, picked it up from the factory and took it to the airport had been pulled over because they were drunk and intoxicated and the Chinese government has impounded the truck with all our stock. And it's basically not like we've lost, well, the factory's lost ownership. So therefore we've lost 4,000 times 160 is a lot of revenue, which we're anticipating to receive in the next, you know, 20 days or so. And it's like our, uh, our production guy was like so stressed about it. And I just, I was just like, ah, it is what it is. Like what's, what's, you know, what's the solutions. And, the guy's like, oh, well, we're going to do a recut. It's going to take another 25 days, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, cool. Well, let's just figure it out. You know, let's put something else in its place. And we know that it's just going to be a bit delayed. But, um, you know, that's probably probably a bit of a big deal. But I, I don't know. I just didn't really see it as a big deal. I just kind of expected. I hadn't really had a problem for a while. And that was a problem. And I kind of expected it. And I was like, oh, problems. Here you are cool <laughs> you know <laughs> and maybe because after my break i was pretty zenned out and whatnot but um but you know just an example of like that of that st- sort of stuff not it's not a, like a major burn the house down type problem but it's still a you know substantial problem and it's going to affect the business um it's going to affect our customers because we told them that this product that was coming you know next week and now it's going to be delayed three four weeks but um, so yeah, it's just kind of the way I, the way I view it. I just inevitable. It's just part of our existence. And it's just like the sooner you start accepting it and just anticipating for problems to come in any way, shape or form, probably the better and more happier you'll be. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Nice. Well, we're getting to the end here of our interview. Thanks so much for this like information, being so generous with all your experiences. Um, but we like to ask everyone on the show, and you've given us so much advice already, but if there's one piece of advice that you've been given along the way that has stuck with you, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I think I probably touched on this before, but just focus on what's important. Don't focus on what looks looks fancy. It's like the focusing on what looking fancy has done for me has just caused me it's just caused me issues. And that's what I mean. It's just like people spend a bomb on like a fancy office and fancy this and fancy that because it makes them look successful. But it's just like it's a bit of a waste of time, to be honest. Like it took me years like you know i'm 14 years into it and now we've only got a fancy office you know the other stuff was other offices were a little, little bit respectful uh respectable but it's like it doesn't really matter you know it's the engine room the grip we're all it, all the all the you know all the action happens and um so i'd say that's like a that's like a huge bit of advice especially for like young startups like i see these these young startups and uh yeah just all this fancy stuff and it's like dude just what are you doing but anyway uh probably that and then also what i said before it's like work on yourself harder than you do on the comp on the company because it's like once like when you when you've got momentum or when you're motivated everything is easy but motivation is like a warm bath and it's really comfortable and easy but then it's going to start to cool down and that's when all the hard you know the challenge kicks in so 
don't be fueled off motivation. Try to be fueled off like a vision with a good compelling reason as to why you want to achieve that vision because it's the why and the compelling reasons that are going to pull you through the difficult, hard times. And um, a lot of people don't even know why they're doing things. It's like, you know, you ask people, it's like, well, why are you doing this? And they're like, they actually don't know. You know, they're doing it because their parents told them to do the degree or they're doing it because it's going to make their, their girlfriend happy. Um, I think if you do that, but ignore why it's important for you and you've got an important, compelling reason as to why it's important for you, it's going to, once again, it's going to probably lead to a, a bad outcome and you'll probably build resentment towards the other and also probably a bit of resentment towards yourself. Life is, life is long, but it's also short. Like it goes really quickly. And um, it's just a waste of time doing things for others. Like, I know that sounds very selfish, but end of the day, it is your life and do something, do something for your own reasons. And if that gets you excited and makes you jump out of bed in the morning, I think you're onto something really good because it's very rare. Like it's a super common to find, you know, millionaires and even billionaires, but it's actually rare to find a genuinely authentically happy person that loves what they're doing. That's actually designed their life in a way in which they want to live it. It's extremely rare. So try to be that person. And I think as a result, all the money and all the accolades and all the other stuff will probably come as a result of it. But if it doesn't come, it doesn't even matter because you are fulfilled. I'll be watching, uh, I watched the Kelly Slater, um, who's a, I don't know if you guys know Kelly Slater, you know, pretty, yeah, yeah. Icon iconic surfer. And I was watching his documentary and it's the same thing. Like he kind of found that sweet spot where he's doing what he absolutely loves doing, but he's just found the bonus of, you know, he could, he could, um, make it economically become economically successful and all the other stuff. But even if he didn't have that, he'd still be doing doing it. And I think that's that's true. It's just like, oh, no, obviously we've got to put food on the table and we've got bills and mortgages and all that stuff. I get it. The thing is, it's like, regardless, is start doing that stuff in, in, in part-time, you know, if, if need be. And then the quarter time will become half-time and three-quarter time. And, yeah, and eventually you could probably make something of it. So um, that would be my advice. So along with all the other stuff I said, um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You've dropped a lot of bangers this episode, so not lacking in advice. Um, the only other thing we like to ask is, uh, aside from I love ugly, who in your view is making waves right now and why? Yeah. I listen to, I listen to a lot of people and, and I think it's also important to gain inspiration out of your industry as well, because, um, a lot of the stuff that we've innovated in, I've just stolen from other, uh, other industries. Um, and everybody steals, but I think if, if you apply it to your own industry where it hasn't been done before, all of a sudden it becomes innovative. Um, and it's just a reciprocal way of life. Like everybody's borrowed their ideas off of somebody. So who I'm listening to, um, I think in terms of safe fashion, I think, you know, those, the guys over in New York, like Amy Leondora, just pretty, pretty incredible. I know, I know that they got a shit ton of funding in the early days. So it allowed them to. They, Americans do it differently. Like they get basically funding from the get go and then, um, you know, they can, they can take their time and just build the brand and the model. And then when they're ready, they'll get another round of funding. We're very differently where we try to become profitable and structured and create the model from the get go. Um, and then once you become at a certain scale, you can either do say like a trade sale or, someone can do some equity buy-in just to allow you to either take some money off the table personally, or just get some working capital in the back into the business for expansion. But the cool thing nowadays is there's so many, I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent here, but the cool thing nowadays is there's so many alternative types of funding where you don't need to do that. But anyway, so Amy Leondor for, um, for clothing, obviously Epic. Um, I just finished the James Clare book called Atomic Habits, which I highly recommend to a lot of people. It's just like allows you to reflect on your life and just the little small things and the little small things compounded basically contribute to the overall greater result. Um, there's that. Um, you know, I've got some friends, some personal friends. And, um, you know, I was saying before about someone that's kind of really designed their life, like my best mate, um, 
my best mate Andre kind of had this frame of mind since he was 19. You know, him and me are both 36. And he's just designed his life in a way where it's just like revolves around his passions, you know, what he wants to do. And um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great mentor to me just to, it's not all about work. Like you're not going to get to your deathbed and wish that you worked more. You're going to wish that you lived more or spent more time with like family and friends and creating experiences and memorable moments. And um, I think it's a great way to live. And I've got it. Honestly, there's a ton of people that I listen to and, and, and stuff like a, a stack. I probably couldn't just like single them off, but there's no, there's no one, nothing. It's just like one thing that jumps out. It's just a bunch of little, little things all over the show. I'm in a very rediscovering who I am phase just due to when you know when you're in a relationship for 14 years you become so intertwined when it's taken away you're almost undoing and reinventing and redesigning so I'm just being I'm an open book at the moment receptive to everything and anything music cultural culture point of views style food everything and anything like I'm just in that phase of my life so I've got a list a stack of just different stuff but um, and I'm going for an information absorbing stage. Um, so I'm just like, you know, if you have a, during this break, I read about seven odd books and stack of audio and a lot of journaling and just a lot of, a lot of stuff. So yeah, I don't really know if that's helpful answers your question, but yeah, there's nothing or no one particular person for me right now. It's just kind of yeah. a bit of everything and anything sprinkles. Awesome. Of, yeah. It does answer the question. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for it. It's just more so like, what are you looking at? What are you listening to? So that's, that's a great list. Well, thanks, man. This has been, it's been really cool. And you truly are an open book. I appreciate that we can come into this without having any like previous relationship and um, you just show up honest and, and raw like that. So I think our, li our listeners are definitely going to benefit from it and uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Thanks a lot. Amazing. I appreciate the opportunity guys. Yeah, man. Well, we'll keep watching and uh, we'll be cheering for you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you both.